0: Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. I'm here in studio today with Melissa and a very special guest, Sarah Jarvis. We invited her to come in today to just interview her, learn a little bit more about another EMDR therapist in the area. Um, we want to pick her brain on her areas of specialties and some of her experiences in the field. So, Sarah, do you just want to start out by introducing yourself and a little bit about what you do?
2: Sure. So, I am a women's coordinator for a local nonprofit. We um, have a couple grants that we work in the surrounding communities and do some um some in-home trauma-based substance abuse counseling um, for people who are in need in the communities and underserved. Um, so that's kind of my main job, but I also see private pay clients, um, kind of a part-time private practice, um, and um, I do some supervision for some other counselors and just kind of do a lot of different things.
1: Great, great. I'm curious for, I guess, mostly for our listeners, because I know all of this. I know Sarah very well, and she's a wonderful therapist and a huge asset to our community. Um, what? Tell us about your process into EMDR therapy, a little bit about your training experience, uh, where you're at in that process now.
2: Yeah. So I have been with the agency I'm, I'm with for the past seven, a little over seven years. Um, started there right out of school. And um, prior to EMDR training, I um, I was trained in multiple other trauma-focused um, interventions and methods. So I was trained in and certified in parent-child interactive therapy, PCIT. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> Making a note. Yes, <laughs> I am. And I've been working to monitor, the, uh, change that a little bit so that it can be done in home because that's what mm-hmm. most of our services through the grants are. So I've done that. Uh, some training in trauma-focused CBT, um, basically any trauma-informed um, trainings that we can do, we try to do them because that is the majority of the population we serve. Most of them meet criteria for PTSD. Um, so that's where that kind of started, that interest in trauma, that knowledge of trauma, that um, experience with trauma, a lot of sexual abuse, um, child abuse, long-term chronic trauma. Mm-hmm. So then EMDR kind of came onto all of our radars at work. And uh, Jen was trained in EMDR and she was having a lot of success with that with her clients. Um, and so eventually I was able to get trained as well and, and interested in learning that technique specifically because of the clients that I served and I interacted with. I knew it would be a valuable resource to have for them. So
1: this wasn't on my radar to even ask you about, Mm -hmm. but it came up now. You do PCIT. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there any way that you integrate that
2: with EMDR, or do those paths cross over at all in your practice? Not a lot. PCIT is a pretty structured program, Um, and there's there's a couple different camps of PCIT, and there is a trauma-informed PCIT, which is the one I've been trained in. Um, but it's a pretty structured program, and it focuses more on the ch- parent-child re- relationship, um, enhancing enhancing the bond between them, the attachment, and then also teaching the parent how to correctly manage behaviors mm-hmm. that might be problematic or results of trauma. Um, so a lot of the education piece, maybe about trauma that I would use for EMDR, I can use with the, the parents mm-hmm. and helping them identify trauma b- behaviors from their kids, you know, yeah reframing, like, you know, th- this tantrum has, you know, difficulty regulating emotions. Um, but uh, there's not a lot of room to incorporate EMDR. In fact, for PCIT specifically, um, they they would like you to separate doing therapy with the the parent. And if the parent needs therapy, refer out hmm. so that there's okay. no crossover and that each session can be about the parent-child mm-hmm. relationship. But definitely there are some parents that I would do PCIT with that I would also um, encourage them to seek EMDR counseling yeah. outside.
0: I'm thinking, too, about, you know, there's a, a lot now coming out about attachment-focused EMDR mm-hmm. Um, things like the eye gaze technique, which we should talk mm-hmm. about sometime because it's really cool. Um, and as you're talking, I'm thinking that would probably be a really great integration point for people that do PCIT or something similar, um, but it would have to kind of be a separate thing because PCIT is so structured. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if you do that kind of work, I would look at the eye gaze technique and attachment-focused DMDR because I think that would probably be a really uh, easy mm-hmm. point um, to connect the two. So one of our next questions, if you can think way back to when you were first getting started with EMDR, um, what were some of your biggest challenges or hurdles that you remember when you were first trying to integrate this into your practice? Because you had been practicing a while, you had all these other trainings under your belt. What was that like? It, it
2: was challenging. Um, and part of it was situational. I had recently been moved into that supervisor position, so I actually had a slightly lower caseload than I normally did. Mm. So I had less opportunity to use it. Um, but also there's just um, the population I work with, a lot of times when we get them, they're in crisis mode. I've been able to use EMDR a little bit more with my private practice clients, um, but the ones that I see through my, my primary job, they are a lot of times court-ordered for treatment. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they are still actively using drugs. Um, and so just kind of cognitively and their environment, there's not enough stability to even touch the trauma, mm-hmm. uh, let alone do therapy on the trauma. We always try to remain trauma-informed when we are working with them. but. There's so um, there's so much chaos and, and crisis that it takes a while before we can really dive into trauma, and by that time, a lot of times they have have moved on to other programs or have had, uh, been uh, referred to longer term community resources. So there was a bit of um, bit of a delay in being able to use my EMDR right at first, and that's actually one of the reasons. I decided to take on private clients hmm. so that I could use my EMDR more regularly. Mm-hmm.
0: Like a true therapist. I'll just get another job so that I can get yeah. better at my job. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty much. I feel like that experience is, I hear
1: common commonly with people that I work with as a consultant will say that, that they took the training and then something – I think we were just talking about mm-hmm. this in an earlier podcast. Um, something stood in the way of them getting to use it at that time, mm-hmm. and so there's this delay – Or you took on a second job to do that, but other people will have this lag time where maybe they're not using it. And then like rejoining that practice can be difficult to get back into EMDR therapy if they've been away from it for a while. Mm -hmm. Did you have any struggle going from basic training into actually implementing
2: it and using it? Some. My basic training was split up. Um, They were about a month apart. It was in two parts, and they were about a month apart. Um and then when I completed the second part of my basic training, um it was right before the holidays and so your client load kind of drops there too mm-hmm. and client engagement can drop off at, around that time as well. Um and then like I said I had just moved into a, a new position, so there was um there was some struggle and I think there was a lot of questions that I had. I wasn't really sure how to use it. I knew I knew everything. I knew the the basics Um, and I had the manual and I had practiced in the sessions, but then it was a bit of a deer in headlight situation. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is pretty common. Yeah. And it felt very, it was, it was very similar to like when you, you have your first counseling job outside of, outside of school. Mm -hmm. Um, or even your first practicum or internship where you take all of these things that you learned. In textbooks and with your peers in class, and all of a sudden there's a real person in front of you with real issues, mm-hmm. um, that are depending on you to help them work through those issues. And it's one of those, um, do I trust this, this model enough to just go for it and to, to trust mm-hmm. that, that this can happen and this can help? Um, like, like the book says it will. And I think for a while there was a little bit of a lack of trust. I was a little mm-hmm. skeptical, I think, mm-hmm. um, even
0: coming out of the basic training. When I first started, I, would, I had a chair and I had a little table kind of next to it. And on the back side of the chair where my clients couldn't see it, I put a post-it note that said, trust the process. And that probably mm-hmm. stayed there for several months to, to maybe even a year because I distinctly remember that feeling of, yeah. what am I doing? <laughs> this yeah. seems insane. Mm-hmm. And there there is kind of that, that leap of faith and – uh but, well, so I'm curious, how did you kind of overcome that? Was there um, some circumstantial changes or just you pushing through? What made a difference for you?
2: Um, I did a lot. Of, I, I tend to learn best on my own um, through study and just um, if I can kind of slow things down um, so there's no distractions and it's just me and some trial and error. Um, and so a lot of it was just through self-study. So either reading... Um, talking to other EMDR therapists, I did start going to, we have those EMDR meetings here in Springfield for Mm -hmm. clinicians Mm -hmm. to kind of come and talk with each other. So I started going to those, um, and bouncing a lot of ideas. I talked with Jen a lot. Um, and then just really thinking about when I would use EMDR, really kind of evaluating, like what happened? Is that what I expected to happen? Um, what might've happened if I tried something else? Um, and just kind of, I think I got to this point where it was, I either use it or I lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to use it. And then when I went into, I decided to go ahead and start that consultation process so that I could become certified. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then through consultation as well, I, I felt like I started to slowly get a better handle on it. And to to trust the process even more, not just hearing my own experiences and seeing my own experiences, but hearing other people's. I
1: really value your vulnerability and sharing what that was like for you, because I feel like so many of our listeners are sitting in that exact same position of coming out of that initial work. And I know I felt that, Melissa, you shared feeling that of uh, I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. I don't feel like I can trust myself here doing this or trust the process And so, but I don't want to say that. I don't want to, you know, look like I don't know what I'm doing. I have to be in that position where this client's trusting me. And so I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. But to know that that feeling's okay and that feeling's really natural and normal. And the way to work through that is we need more. We need more education. We need more experience, support. So whether you do that through advanced trainings or reading independently or certification but don't don't stop at the basic training. Don't feel like that's all there is. There's mm-hmm. so much more out mm-hmm. there that that is offered to us to get us to that place where we are really able to help those clients, no matter what their struggle or challenge might be.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually, I think with that, the other kind of turning point for me, now that I'm kind of looking back, one of the big turning points was one of my advanced trainings that mm-hmm. I went to. Um, so my basic training was also very kind of rushed. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare to read the book, to um, to mentally get ready for that. It was just there happened to be a training nearby, and my boss was just kind of like, let's do it. So it, it felt a little rushed, and I didn't feel super prepared. So I made a point for my advanced training to really look at the options and um, – and decide what I felt like I needed. Um, so I did a lot of research, and I ended up uh, finding a um, a advanced training called The Art of EMDR. I remember when you went to that. <laughs> I do. And it felt a little bit like a pipe dream because we're here in the Midwest, and it was up in Canada. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I really felt like a long shot, but I just felt really strongly because I was kind of sensing in myself like this, I don't, I don't feel like I trust this, this process yet. And I I need to just go all in and really do an advanced training that I feel like is going to be the most beneficial to the clients I serve. And so this was advertised as being um, very heavily focused on dissociation and trauma, um, complex long-term trauma. So I really, I felt very strongly about it. And I was able to kind of advocate and get myself there. (laughs) Um, And it was the best the best thing for me. I felt a little bit like a fish out of water. Um, it was the type of training that you kind of have to apply to go to. Um, so I wasn't even sure I'd be able to go. And I was definitely, I felt like the least experienced there. Most of the other therapists there had been doing this for 20 plus years. And, um, so I was really shy, but I just kind of forced myself to get out of my comfort zone and again, just embrace the process. I was in a whole new place. Um, I think that kind of helped. Like, I was Mm -hmm. like, I'll never see these people again in my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a good place to (laughs) risk. Low pressure. Yeah,
2: and it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Mm -hmm. It was run by Roger Solomon and um, Kathleen Martin. And and it was just such a a safe place. And about 75% of it was experiential.
1: That's so cute. So it was really
2: intensive. Um, and I did a lot of self EMDR work. Um, I was staying with my sister and I would just come home, uh, go to her home and just be kind of exhausted at the end of the day, because it was just a day full of therapy. I would do a lot of therapy myself and then turn around and do therapy with a partner. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was there and, um, and I got a lot of validation from uh, from the facilitators. And they did a really good job of saying and letting me know that you have good instincts. Follow mm-hmm. your instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just turned out to be that was when I bought into EMDR completely. Right. It hooked you. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: You know, I think that experience of going that extra step in the advanced training is where a lot of people just their eyes are opened to what EMDR has to offer where when you go into that first training you think okay it's an eight phase protocol it's very structured which it needs to be presented that way in basic training because we have to learn mm-hmm. that like we have to be it's really solid in that mm-hmm. but a lot of people think that's where it stops and so it's when similar to you Sarah when I would did my first advanced training was really related to attachment in children and so, totally different topic than what you did, but the same experience of like, oh, there's like, there's so much more out there that's not just reading my script, following step by step, but there's this world of understanding something else and integrating that back into the scripts, into the, the eight phase protocol. And so, that's that, just that aha moment of, okay, there's a lot more that I can do with this. Um, And building your confidence, like, oh, I have a tool I can pull out when I need Mm -hmm. it. And then the more trainings you do like that or the more books you read, the more confident you are in what you've
0: got.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. Well, so what's one of your favorite interweaves that you use a lot of? You know, now that you've um, kind of gotten to that next level of I've been using this a long time, I'm really comfortable with it. What do you find yourself kind of going back to over and over besides, obviously, the basic protocol and that foundation? So I've
2: actually, the longer I've been doing this and the more that I do it, I find myself using interweaves less and less, hmm. which is pretty fascinating um, because I, I really loved the idea of the interweave at first. I was like, okay, good. That gives me a little bit of control.
0: <laughs> Something to do. I know.
2: Yeah. Um, but I do this thing now where um, I kind of try to practice some, some self-awareness and some mindfulness when I'm with a client who's reprocessing. And I get this kind of feeling in my gut, like I want to say something or I want to intervene. And I always make myself do at least one, if not two sets beyond that mm. before I say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I found that more often than not, if I just remove myself from the equation, their brain does it. And and I think that speaks to my ability now to trust the process, um, but I still have to cognitively decide to trust the, the process. So, that is such a good discipline. Yeah, it's it's that. not easy. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I kind of, as soon as I feel that kind of internal urge to say something, I stop. Mm-hmm. And I have them do a couple more sets of what they're noticing. And I found... Um, you know, kind of means it
0: makes me feel a little obsolete. (laughs) Um, (laughs) MDR makes us all feel a little obsolete sometimes. I found that their minds just do it,
2: do what they need to do, Um, especially if we've done the work ahead of time um, to build up that AIP. Um, Yeah, it just – so I don't use a lot of cognitive interweaves. When I do, um, it usually stems from some of the ego state work that I like to do with clients beforehand, so I'll have them – bring forward one of their helpful parts that we've identified. Ego state
1: work is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to ask you, is there an advanced concept or protocol that you utilize? But ego state work is definitely Mm -hmm. one of those. And I share with you in that. I was going to just comment on what you were saying. I think that's so valuable that hold on to that thought that comes up um, for a couple of sets, I often feel like I'm having a talk therapy session in my head mm-hmm. with the client mm-hmm. and I let it be in my head. And so I know the direction we're going and kind of where I want them to move towards in relation to their positive cognition. Like we're still leaving that as the goal. Like we want to get to that, but that talk therapy session keeps going in my head until they're been looping or stuck for a couple of sets. And then wherever I'm at in my talk therapy session in my head is what I say at that point. Um, and see where that goes from Mm
0: -hmm. there. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, I find myself writing it right? Because there's almost like this urge that we have, you know, oh, I have this brilliant thought and I can't <laughs> say it, right? Because I'd be, you know, intervening when I shouldn't be. Um, so most of my EMDR notes, there's, you know, the main body of the note and then over in the left margin, there's all of my brilliance that never gets said. <laughs> <But> they <laughs> don't even really need, it. No, they don't right? need it at all. It's just for my sake and, you know, to get it out of my head. And I will say, sometimes it's actually um, worked well for if they do get stuck, then Suddenly, I have this list of nice interweaves over on the left uh, to choose from, and so that can be really helpful. If you think of something that um, you know could be a good interweave, go ahead and write it down just so you can reference it. But that's a really good point, Sarah, and a, a very good discipline that I think a lot of us need more of. Of hold on to that thought; it's probably not needed. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Sarah, I think for our listeners, they we like to hear demonstrations, case examples. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't want to catch you off guard, and so if you don't have any, that's okay. But if you would be able to share with us about one of maybe your more exciting cases or challenging cases,
2: um, whatever you can share of that, that would be great. Yeah, so for me, um, to kind of avoid giving specifics, um, I thought I'd talk a little bit more in generals. Some of the um, most exciting cases for me are my clients who come in and they're, they're very imaginative and very creative individuals. And mm. um, that tends to be how my mind works. So I feel like I just, it's a kind of a more natural relationship and, and ebb and flow that we can develop as, you know, as a pair of people going through this process. Um, so, uh, and a lot of that harkens back to doing some of that ego state work as well. Um, and we, I love to do that, um, before, as kind of a, a precursor to EMDR. We'll do um, either um, Kathleen Martin's Frazier's Fraser, uh, Dissociative Table or some variation of that. And um, that gives me a really good idea about how their mind works and um, what some of the like, underlying themes might be that will come up. Um, also their comfort level uh, with um, disclosure and with letting their mind do whatever it needs to do. Um, it's kind of like a really good practice run. Um, and s- some of my favorite clients have had the most um, creative and symbolic um, experiences doing that that exercise. And I always get really excited about that, whether it's, you know, instead of seeing parts of themselves, they see colors mm-hmm. or, you know, whether there's little characters and they feel comfortable enough to like laugh out loud or, you know, talk to themselves um, And just you know, there's a lot of uh, um, cognitive dissonance that needs to happen in that exercise. But if they're able, yeah, if they're able to do it, Mm -hmm. I just know. And every time um, that it's going to be a good, uh, that reprocessing is going to be a fairly natural progression for them. and so, you know, I've had some clients who just the way that their minds work is really fascinating. And it's kind of nice because I have like the the therapist part of me, but I also have like a nerdy part of me that loves the brain and that loves, you know, how bizarre things can work out and how um, how the and how process the is connections different. are yeah. made. And, yeah. and I just love it. And so it, it's fun. I get to I almost feel like I'm geeking out a little bit with clients like that because I'm just like, that's so cool. Um, but I'm trying to, like, stay really reserved and just be like, and go with that. <laughs> um, where in my mind, I'm like, that's insane. I've never seen that before. That's so cool. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoy my creative uh, clients. Then I'm always really um, excited about my clients that have the really um, intense trauma, the the really chronic, um, really long-term. Like, you know, we do floatbacks, and there's, like, 30-some yeah. target memories mm-hmm. that just come up. Um, and I think the reason I enjoy those, they can be really hard and um, really long-term. Um, and, you know, its it can be really emotional. But at the same time, that's usually where I see the biggest, like, before and after mm-hmm. contrast, um, where they just they, – they can barely function um, when they walk in the door the first time. And by the end of it, I almost have to remind them, like, do you remember what you looks, were like yeah. the first time we met? Even you know, even if it was years ago, and we've been working through this for over a year or two. Do you remember? Like, you couldn't even speak. Mm-hmm. You couldn't. You know, you, you couldn't look me in, me in the eye. Yeah, yeah, and now you're just you're you're fulfilling all of your goals. You you can't even remember how how weighted down you were, and so I get, you know it. it It's you never want to see someone who has to carry that big of a burden or who uh, has that much trauma that they're carrying around with them. But at the same time, I get really excited when I do
0: meet one. Oh, me too. And I think that is just the absolute gift of EMDR. And part of the reason why for those of us that kind of go all in on EMDR and become a little bit evangelistic about it, it's that that I think makes us that way, Mm -hmm. because previous to EMDR when those people would walk in there's almost kind of a sinking feeling of oh no what am I what am I going to do Mm -hmm. how in the world am I going to take this crumpled broken person and get them anywhere meaningful and suddenly well maybe not suddenly because you're right it is a long process but with EMDR it suddenly felt like oh no I can do something and not just a little something not the band-aid kind of something but the transformative something And you do it a few times and you get those incredible transformation experiences and it's like nothing I had ever experienced before. So I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the
1: changes might be subtle as you're doing it. Sarah, as you said, like it could be a year or two years Mm -hmm. before we're then finally like, oh, yeah, let's look back at what it was. But you know that what you're doing is moving in the right direction Mm -hmm. and they leave those sessions Feeling a little bit different. That it may not be clear and obvious what's happening, or they've all of a sudden changed their lives dramatically. But they can feel Mm -hmm. better. They feel a little bit different. And then Mm -hmm. that piece of reflecting back. um, Oftentimes, I do that with my clients, and we'll pull out um, our treatment plan or our float back or list of targets, and say, "Like, my gosh, look at these that we've gone through, and look at look at your behaviors or your symptoms Mm -hmm. at the time and how much they've changed." And that's such a moment of like a achievement moment for them. Like I did Mm -hmm. it, like I can handle this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we install that as a, as a positive resource and strengthen that. Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. Well, so what do you find to be the most challenging at this point in your EMDR practice? Definitely.
2: There's, there's some clients um, that just do not have any sort of foundation of any adaptive information Mm. processing abilities. Um, I had one woman who, who came to me for EMDR and it was kind of one of those things where it's just like, we, we can't do EMDR right now because there's nothing positive to hold on to. Um, and so we had tried and tried resourcing, um, and she couldn't, she just couldn't go there. Um, and it took a really long time to get any positive gains. Um, and I've had several clients who, because of that, uh, long-term like childhood abuse um and just kind of chronic one after another trauma and very little positives in their lives that they just they it's like they don't have anything to catch it's like they're throwing you know throwing uh, a ball at nothing there's not it's not going to stick um and so it's those clients um encouraging them they because they can get discouraged because they come in wanting to I'm going to work through my trauma everything's going to be okay um I've heard that this thing works miracles <laughs> mm-hmm. and um one they get a little discouraged because they realize just how hard the work actually is mm-hmm. so I think there's a misconception that EMDR is easier right um but it's just it's it doesn't necessarily have to be easier. There's things about it that might be easier. Like you don't have to necessarily tell your story or write it out or something like that, but you still have to experience some really intense things sometimes. And and so they get discouraged there and then they get discouraged because there's such, um, we're not able to dive right in because there's nothing positive to hold on to. And they don't have enough um, self-efficacy or, or desire or even love of themselves to to put the effort into to build themselves up and and gain those positive um, beliefs um, to to hold on to and for that
0: process to work. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about that, you know, building the AIP so that EMDR has something to hook on to, mm-hmm. and it, you know, helps it be effective and certainly speeds it up. Um, if you're, Brand new to EMDR, that's going to feel a little bit advanced. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm sitting here, I'm realizing we're going to do a whole episode about that because that is, that was one of the things that kind of took me from, I think I get how EMDR works to, Oh, that's how EMDR works. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of do a whole separate thing. So if you're interested in that, look, uh, forward if this is a, a previous episode, because we're going to do an episode specifically on building AMP because mm-hmm. I do think that is so incredibly important. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. And can take a long time. Mm -hmm. When you talk about not being able to, they're not in a place to do any reprocessing. I've had clients where I stay in preparation and resourcing in some sense of the term. It may be not those standard like calm, safe place, container, nurturing figure, but in just psychoeducation, learning about trauma, um, CBT, breathing techniques, whatever it might be. And I kind of classify that as preparation or resourcing, but we may be there for a year Mm -hmm. just to get them to a place that they're regulating their emotions and even aware of their emotions enough to be having conversations about them Mm -hmm. and to understand the impact of their trauma on their current symptoms. And so that looks like, you know, we're not really doing EMDR. It depends how you, what framework you use it in, but um, sometimes that process of building that AIP Uh, The adaptive information processing, putting in resources that they can draw from takes a long time, but it's so necessary. Like we have to have that there to integrate their negative experiences, Mm -hmm. maladaptive experiences into to help kind of switch them over into being something adaptive. That's right.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Sarah. Thanks for pointing that out. So um, just on the practical end of things, do you have a, you know, you talked about the training that was uh, really meaningful for you. Do you have an article or a book or something like that, that you feel like was really important to you when you were getting started?
2: I think, honestly, and I (laughs) I think the people who know me professionally roll their eyes a little bit because I bring it up a lot. Um, But that uh, the Fraser's Dissociative Table that technique, yeah. <laughs> I um, Kathleen Martin did um, kind of um, adapted that for EMDR to use as resourcing as, as a way to monitor dissociative states. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did a whole demonstration and uh, um, we did a lot of work around that in that Art of D- EMDR um, advanced training that I went to in Canada. And that... Definitely. I, um, I'm pretty evangelistic about that one. Um, pretty much anyone that I encounter that I do supervision with, even if they're not EMDR trained, you can use it without EMDR as well. Um, and it's just, it's such a wealth of information and it has so many benefits, not just for the clinician, but for the the client as well. It Evokes so much self-insight and self-awareness and it it really is just kind of the perfect segue into that uh, preparation into reprocessing and then you can use it all throughout and and then their mind starts catching on to that and and bringing it in on their own so they'll they'll be reprocessing and a part of themselves will be involved just organically Um, and so I just I really I you know throughout the training I had to go through that experience myself and it was so powerful um, and it's still something that to this day I use as a frame of reference with self work. And so I really, um, every, everybody I've used it with has, it's been helpful, um, to various degrees, but I've never had it not be helpful for a client. So that, there, that is an article that you can get, um, if you're an Endria member and it's fairly, um, easily obtainable online. So, mm-hmm. so I'll go ahead and put you on the spot and invite you to be a future guest
1: on a podcast <laughs> where we talk about that. Yeah, Brander's I'd love to. To yes. oh, oh yes. I'll talk all day yeah. about it. <laughs> I think that would be so great for our listeners. And I use it often. Mm-hmm. Thanks to you. Um, I remember sitting down and you kind of walking me through that article and some of the materials you've Gain through that, and my clients respond well to it. I talk to my consultees about it. I talk to colleagues about it. So I think we should do an episode mm-hmm. on that.
0: Agreed. Hmm. Okay, so our very last question would be: What words of wisdom advice would you share with somebody that is just beginning?
2: Hmm. Probably uh, to trust the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Push yourself a little bit past your comfort zone, uh, whether that is, you know, making yourself wait a few more sets before you put in a cognitive interweave or use one um, or, you know, going to an advanced training that may seem too advanced for you um, or, you know, debating whether or not because it is it's a big investment. EMDR is it's a time investment. It's a financial yes. investment. Um, and you. Uh, a lot of times we talk about with our clients a lot about how worthy they are of being invested in, um, and how important it is to invest in yourself. Um, we need to take our own advice and so trust the process, trust your own abilities, um, and, and invest in yourself.
1: I love it. You're so, so wise. <laughs> <laughs> so great with words. Mm-hmm. Perfectly put. I agree. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, for everybody listening, um, this anything that you want to share about yourself or if they have questions where they t- can reach you or
2: yeah. Plan is. Um, so I think we'll have probably a link available or
0: some information mm-hmm. attached to this episode. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes so that you guys can find, um, her email address and, uh, stuff like that because mm-hmm. she does work for an agency, um, I think that we'll just have an email for you that people could reach yeah. out with questions or things like that.
2: Yeah, and um, you know, I I really enjoy I, I enjoy talking about EMDR. I enjoy anything that um, that is trauma related. That's where my heart is, and that's where most of my experience has been. Um, not just with therapy, but just with um, other things in my life like that. Tended to be a recurring theme um, in my life, and it was. I remember I was in high school that I took my my first psych class and it it was like an instantaneous I just knew like this this is it because I had had so many friends even that that I had um, that I'd met and were a part of my life that had disclosed trauma to me and I felt really helpless as to how to help them but I I wanted to and so that's just been kind of a reoccurring that's that's why I got into the field and so any Um, anything that I can use to to work with trauma and we the more that we learn about trauma the more we recognize how widespread it is Mm -hmm. um, how different it can look Um, trauma used to mean something very specific and now we have a much broader definition of trauma which I really love Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah if if it involves trauma and healing trauma I'm in Great. (laughs) Well, thank
1: you so much for being here with us today and giving up your afternoon to do this. And uh, we look forward to having you on a future podcast with us. So thank you to everybody for listening in and just send us your questions, your thoughts, your ideas. We'd love to hear from you. And hopefully something you heard today will help you help your clients. We'll
0: we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.